Quote, first and foremost, then, all play is a voluntary activity. Play to order is no longer play. It could at best be but a forcible imitation of it. By the quality alone, play marks itself off from the course of the natural process. It is something added thereto and spread out over it like a flowering, an ornament, a garment. End quote. These words from Johann Huizinger's Homo Ludens raise a question. If play to order is no longer play, but at best a forcible imitation of it, at what point does the expectation and planning for a role-playing game cause that role-playing game to stop being playful? Hi, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Welcome and thanks for listening. I hope you'll find something interesting or useful here today. Back in episode one of this season, entitled What's It For?, I asked what would happen if I just started a new season with very little in the way of a plan. Roleplay Rescue is the podcast about rediscovering our lost tabletop role-playing games hobby. It started more than three years ago, and it's been a journey which started out of frustration with other people's busy lives and ended up revealing that my life, like the lives of most people I know, is jam-packed with too many things. This busyness has even bubbled over into a full-blown anxiety and, at times, depression. This season began with a theme in mind – How can I help the anxious, overworked and generally overwhelmed gamer get back to the table? And we have meandered and weaved across a wide vista of thought for the past 16 episodes, which brings us to today. A number of elements and ideas have arrived at a single confluence today. Recognition that I'm not seeking the regular kind of Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game, that I often feel stuck and too tired to prepare gaming sessions, and that, in many ways, there are too many choices blurring my vision of the table. All of these are certainly still true. But I have discovered the magic of turning up to play, that the session is more important than the game. I remembered that as teens we used to play daily, but what we played was flexible. The most important thing was to gather with the intention to play. The opening quotation from Husinger, something I revisited as I began to reread his book in an idle moment before bed a few days ago, it resonated deeply with me. First and foremost, then, all play is a voluntary activity. Play to order is no longer play. It could at best be but a forcible imitation of it. This got me thinking, wondering, when I push myself to prep to order, am I forcing my play into a pale imitation of the real thing? The generosity of a new patron, and and not just with joining the Patreon with hard-earned dollars, but the generosity of sharing ideas was another element in the process. Thanks to Alex, I was given this little tidbit to consider. Quote, 
My favourite piece of RPG content recently was listening to Runehammer's live stream session recaps on YouTube. They are really insightful and I do recommend them. He picks up a habit at a certain point of basically doing GM emulation when things go off script, asking questions and rolling dice, which I found great, end quote. This idea of using solo GM emulation tools when things go off script is something I myself do on occasion, but why don't I do it more? My experiences with setting up and running Wilderlands in the spirit of the open table has helped me revisit the core ideas of easy access, fast starting and emergent world gaming. Taken together, these elements and many more besides have led me to wonder a very big question. Should the GM prep very much at all? Today I want to follow the thought towards an experiment. I want to share some key memories that have helped me find a direction to follow and then I want to suggest how we might get started. Let's dive in. Here's the scene. It's Saturday morning. Tonight is game night, a regularly scheduled session of about two hours or so with your friends. You're the GM and the game has just reached one of those natural transition points. The initial immediate challenges have been resolved, new opportunities and options have arisen and the players have indicated the new direction they want to take. But you just had a tough week and you're out of mental energy. There are other responsibilities looming today too. And you realise that motivation is at an all-time low. A couple of episodes ago I spoke about this situation in How to Emergency Prep, episode 15. And that is good advice for the GM who wants to show up and keep the game rolling. But transitions are slightly different. There is room for a shift, for switching, and the temptation is strong. The key question is there. Do you force yourself to prep, or do you show up to do something else? I don't think there's a right answer here. Too many factors are involved, but I suspect most players would be screaming at the GM to get the damn prep done, to honour your commitment to the group. And this is where the question of whether this is a hobby or your work looms into the foreground. Hobbies are done for ourselves. They are interludes between our work and our social responsibilities wherein we can occupy our time for our own selfish goals. Work is something you can do for others. It's the generous act of showing up to serve the people you work for. It's about making change happen. Work is about making the world a better place for other people. So which is it? This is why I dislike calling role-playing a hobby, because role-playing games are not usually done alone, and one person takes on the role of Game Master so that other people can play. But I am intrigued. Can the GM be a player? Modern thinking suggests that yes, they too are a player, but I'm not so sure. Is the referee at a football match a player? Is the croupier at the poker table a player? What is the role of the game master at the role-playing table? So let's assert that yes, the GM is a player. If that's the case, and if play is indeed, as Husinger posits, a voluntary activity, then does the play of the GM cease when they are forced to show up, prep, and lead the play? Is this my hobby, or is this some form of work? I don't want it to feel like or even be like work. For me, role-playing marks itself off from the course of the natural process. It is something added there too and spread out over it like a flowering, an ornament, a garment. Role-playing games 
are about play. So how can we make them playful for the Game Master too? Gaming in the First Age released an excellent short podcast episode the other week entitled Emergent Campaigns. I'll stick a link in the show notes because you should give it a listen. But the crux of it was this. Graham started playing 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons mostly as an experiment with his group. 35 sessions later, they are still playing. The campaign emerged organically from the play. It has proven to be one of the richest campaigns Graham has experienced in his 40 years or more of gaming. That got me thinking. What were the qualities that brought about the most memorable and rewarding games in my own life? Our first Traveller campaign began with the classic Traveller character creation process. It then meandered session by session through various escapades driven primarily by the referees' use of the random generation tables built into the Traveller core game. Patron encounters, animal encounters, cargo availability, random ship encounters, all of these drove the emergence of the game. It was done at the table or just prior to play, using dice and drawing on the collective imagination of the group. Much later on, around the turn of the century, I ran a game of Hunter, the White Wolf game, which didn't last long but was hugely memorable. What did I do? I set up an initial situation, some office workers at the top of a skyscraper office block who rapidly realise that the building is being overrun by zombies. The goal? To get out of the building alive. What made it special? This was a hunter prelude, and each character was going to receive a special inherent power that would be activated in play at an appropriate moment. And nobody, not even me, knew which powers would show up, nor who would get each power. It all happened at the table. I randomly selected some powers. I watched the emergence of the play. I activated each power for one of the player characters at a dramatically appropriate moment. We had a blast, and yes, they did just about get out of the building. I'll never forget that game because even as GM, I was playing. Fast forward to three years ago and the release of the Alternative 2018 science fiction role-playing game. One of the playtest scenarios published was called Escape from the Institute. I've played it twice and had a blast both times. Why? Well, first of all, it's a scenario that's designed to teach the rules of Alternity through the act of playing. The players are confronted with characters who don't know who they are and then, through a sequence of scenes, they both learn to use the basics of the rules and also learn something more about their characters and the world they are in. Let's put aside learning the rules of the game here. That's not what's cool. What's cool is that the players build characters while they play deciding key traits and skills, equipping themselves as they break out from the Institute and overcoming the guards to break free. What's cool for the GM is that you don't know what choices the players will make. You don't know how it'll pan out. And best of all, the scenario ends with the characters getting into a vehicle and then leaves the truth of the world in your hands. It's the perfect setup to a science fiction game because who they are, how they break out and what they come to believe shapes the game in an emergent sense. Perhaps you see where I'm going. All the most memorable games for me as a player and a GM, and these were just some examples, emerged from playing freely without a pre-designed plot, using random elements, responding to the decisions of the players and allowing the story of the characters to arise naturally. In other words, I'm starting to realise that Huizinga was on to something important. First and foremost, then, all play is a voluntary activity. Play to order is no longer play. It could be at best but a forcible imitation of it. 
My best games were voluntary and not built to order. They were in some sense unbound, looser, and run using flexible approaches. They had firm game rules to simulate the realities of the fictional world, but the methodology for play was emergent. A referee generating a patron from a random table. The GM choosing when to activate a randomly determined power in the scene. The players making choices through play that directly change the nature of the play as it unfolded. This is how I want to play. Freely, without obligation. With a methodology that is flexible and designed to offer possibilities. To enjoy the emergence of worlds and character through the play we share together. How to do it. Saturday Night Gaming has most recently been playing the Northern Isles game with Bob, Evil Jeff and Derek, but the overriding principle of the group is simple. We are gathering to play with the intention of keeping the play going. As I mentioned in episode 4 of this season, Turning Up to Play, the session is more important than the game. As teens we used to play daily, but what we played was flexible. Most days it was Rollmaster, sometimes the GM for Rollmaster wasn't in the mood or wasn't prepped, so we played Star Frontiers or Traveller. What mattered was playing, being together. We need to recover that spirit, turn up, be together, play or don't play, but spend time together. It's the biggest, least talked about secret in gaming. So I decided to set up an experiment. Creatively, I'm going to provoke, hack and invent all in one session. What if the GM set up the game so that it required minimal preparation, would invoke the wonder of discovering the story as it unfolds during play, and it was easy to run at the table? This is primarily about designing a simple methodology that leverages tools already lying around the workshop. Inspired by my memories and wanting a change from the fantasy genre, I decided to plump for a science fiction theme. The most memorable scenario for my youth is Crash on Volturnus, the classic adventure written to introduce people to the Star Frontiers game. I decided to take a leaf from the Alexandrian's playbook and loot the scenario for inspiration. This was my starting point. I would take the idea of the crashed lifeboat on an alien world and see what kind of game might emerge from this premise. I'm going to use the rules I am most comfortable with right now. You only really need three things as core mechanisms to be able to run a game in a pinch. So you just need some kind of adjudication mechanism, some way to handle injury and a method to quantify character qualities. My choice personally is to use the basics of GURPS. Just grabbing the free GURPS-like booklet off the shelf would do. With a bunch of six-sided dice, well, yeah, game on. The world will emerge from the play. All I need is a quick outline to characterise the flavour of the game and the willingness to improvise. I decided to make it a desert from the Volturnus inspiration and steal or modify random encounters or other tables to generate interesting challenges in play. This would obviously create a survival-themed scenario, or at least in the long term. That seemed like a good premise too. Next came structure. Every game needs a game structure. It answers the two most important questions. One, what do the characters do? Two, how do the players do it? Crash on Volturnus was set up as a hex crawl, an exploration of a large hexed map with a mix of random and planned encounters. What I love about the scenario, as I revisit this classic from 1982, is that it outlines a methodology for running a game. And here we are at the basics a mix of map exploration and location exploration that is the bread and butter of early role-playing. Could I steal the map? 
well maybe but I wanted to take some inspiration from other games before I committed myself too deeply or just ended up rerunning the old scenario for the sake of nostalgia no I wanted to build something of my own Back to the Institute. I loved the idea of discovering the characters through play. One of the best elements from the Northern Isles group's play has also been the focus on character, and they've been enjoying the melding of the character's perception with their own perception, a style in which, as much as possible, what the players know is pretty close to what the characters know. What's allowed for this in the Institute scenario was the idea of lost memories. As the characters explored their environment, the players would make key choices and discover who they were. This was similar to the approach I had taken with the Northern Isles itself, creating situations during character creation in which the players were forced to make moral choices. I wanted to bring this stuff to the fore. Session 1 would set up the crash shuttle or starship. The characters would be coming around injured and disorientated, drawing on the setup for the not entirely great TV series Dark Matter. I decided to steal the best idea the writers of that show failed to deliver on. The characters' memories are missing. This invites me to set up some secrets to discover and place clues around in the world. This would make the game a mystery. The mystery game structure is something I have been learning to deploy in practice, so it'd be a challenge and enjoyable for me. Let's revisit the two questions with a mystery. Default goal, solve the mystery. Default action, look for clues. But, as the Alexandrian warns, quote, We have to acknowledge that there's something different about the mystery scenario structure. While it gives some guidance in answering the player's question, what do I do next, it doesn't provide a complete answer. Instead, once the players have found their clues, they'll need to draw a conclusion from those clues. If they don't draw the necessary conclusion, the mystery scenario will stop providing a default action for them to take. In other words, mystery scenario structures are more fragile. End quote. For a more easy-to-run game, I would be better advised to run an easier, more robust game structure. The obvious choice is a location crawl, also known as the dungeon crawl, except you know, this is a science fiction game. I decided to set it up like this. The characters wake up in a crashed starship. Although they don't initially know that it has crashed, the game would have two layers of play. The most basic would be the exploration of the ship. The second would be the mystery of who they are, why they are there, and what on Volturnus is going on. Except that, of course, I needed a better name for the planet. Default goal, find useful stuff. Default action, pick a direction and go to the next location. Actually, and this is a key question in my experiment, I was curious to know how well blending two game structures together might work. Would the more fragile mystery be supported by the more robust location crawl? My hypothesis is yes, and once they get off the ship, I knew I would switch to the second robust game structure, the map crawl, also known as the hex crawl. What did I need to run this game? I needed an opening scene, I needed an end scene, three different ways that the initial scenario could resolve itself. I needed a small location to explore. I needed some random element generators, random encounters, random gear, random details, stuff like that. And most of all, I needed enough elements to build interesting characters through play. And that brings me to the moment of decision. Am I prepared to stick my neck out and prep for this kind of play? The answer, of course, is yes. Like all art, like all experiments, it might not work. It's a risk, it's a challenge, but it is exciting. It engages me in play, the voluntary activity, not the forcible limitation of it. 
And so I leave you with this. How can we make our role-playing playful for the Game Master too? How can we turn away from play to order and back towards the real thing? I think to start with, we make the act of prep playful. And secondly, we make the game itself a little more open-ended and emergent. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Evil Jeff. Just listened to Going Over the Edge and really great episode. Made me think that I needed to listen to it again, maybe pull out one or two elements, help me with my game. But I think you're on the right track. It's great to see you pulling together things as they're going to help you create a better and better game. I get to be a direct recipient of that as being a player in your game. So, you know, I'm all for you figuring this stuff out and doing more and more and getting better and better. You know, that's just me being greedy. I also wanted to quickly pop in and, and remember, uh, I appreciated you, your interview with your dad. Uh, I'm glad that you went through with that and want to encourage you not to just let that be a one-off. Yeah, you interviewed him, but now you've got that connection. Go back and and revisit the War Games, because I think if you made that connection, why not strengthen that connection? You know, And maybe he'll want to talk about some other things that he comes across. Maybe some thoughts on some War Games that he's had. You never know. Maybe he likes talking about those things. You never know till you ask. Isn't that right? Be good. We'll see you later on. Evil Jeff there from Minions and Musings podcast calling in. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed uh, your question as well about dad. Well, yeah, absolutely. My intention is to sort of keep this connection going. I mean, I speak to them every weekend. Uh, we have a little bit of a chat. We don't usually get to talk about much other than what my dad's thinking about the state of the world right now. But um, yeah, next time I visit, I think the plan is to take a game or dig out a game to take and share. And I think it would be really interesting to sort of just keep building on this connection, reconnecting, really. And um, yeah, also just see where the conversation goes. I don't want to do anything too formal and record anything, but I certainly, yeah, just want to keep it alive. So thanks for the nudge. I do appreciate it. And I'm really glad that you're enjoying what I'm doing. You know, as you're one of the Saturday night crew, although you'll hear this after I've done the experiment, or at least if everything goes to plan, um, I'm hoping that you will enjoy it and find something rich from the uh, from the whole thing. And on that note, thanks, Jeff. Game on. Hey, Trey, Jason here. Just want to say I enjoyed episode Roleplay Rescue 1016. I did enjoy hearing the process. Thank you for going through it. I, so I'm slightly different, you know, but our DM styles are different, so it's okay. For example, I prefer to do group character creation altogether as opposed to one-on-one. But it's all good because your style works for you, my style works for me. And But I really appreciate your breaking down the steps and sharing the tools that led you to those steps because I think that's the kind of thing that Roleplay Rescue was designed to do. I think this is a really useful episode, giving people the tools to run their games. So great job. Keep up the great work. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. And that's it for this week. Big thank you once again for showing up and listening. 
thanks also to our callers today. You know I love questions and comments, so if you've got one, please feel free to call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue. You'll find you can just click on the message button and speak for one and a half minutes. If you're on your phone, hop onto the show notes because you'll be able to find a direct link there. Thanks also to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show. Without that support, I'm pretty sure I couldn't keep going. Thank you. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.